Welcome to the Rhodes Church Podcast. We are so excited to connect with you. We hope that this podcast builds your faith and that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Merry Christmas. It's so great to be with all of you here in the auditorium, all of you watching online from Dawn and myself and my entire family. We just want to say very Merry Christmas to each and every one of you. What an honor to come together and just worship with you. And we're excited about what God has done in 2018. It's hard to believe we're already thinking about 2019. Seems like a week ago that we were just uh, launching into 2018. What a year it has been. And so we're just grateful to celebrate with you. Glad to have you with us this morning. We're going to be jumping right into our message. We're going to be finishing up our series called The Gift That Keeps On Giving. So if you get your Bibles out, uh, there's no sermon notes in your worship guides today, but if you are using the YouVersion Bible app, I have sermon notes available for you. I didn't make the cutoff date uh, for the, to get them printed, but I did get them uh, loaded onto the computer. So let's get those out. Let's get your Bibles out. Come on, let's open up to Matthew chapter 7. Woo! That's just excited about the Bible. That's why we yell. Matthew chapter 7, excited about what God's doing in our midst, who he is, how faithful he is. We're some great worship this morning. Those kids, it's fantastic. All the people that serve in our kids' ministry, thank you for being uh, so faithful. It's it's, uh, bearing great fruit. Those videos, the stories about uh, the Christmas story, hearing from a kid's perspective, always enjoy listening to that. Uh, Today we're going to finish this up again. Like I mentioned, the first week we talked about receiving the free gift of righteousness through Jesus Christ. If you have not listened to the last two weeks, I encourage you, go onto our YouTube channel, get on our podcast, and listen to those. I talked about the free gift, about how we don't earn it, and it's something we just have to receive from God. Last week, we talked about the three aspects of receiving those gifts from God, and we're going to jump into that today, and we're going to pick up uh, from there, if that's okay with you. Matthew chapter 7, look at verse 7. Got a lot I want to get into today, so I want to take advantage of every opportunity, or every moment that we have. Verse 7 says this in Matthew chapter 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then being evil, if you then being moral, if you've got your own issues, got your problems, you're, you're human beings, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, everybody say much more. How much more will your heavenly Father, or will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? How many knows God's good? God is good this morning? He's good. He's good. We serve a good God. He's a good Father. Just because we don't, everything that we get in our life, we don't think it's good, doesn't mean he's not good. He is good. Everything that happens to us, everything that comes to us is not necessarily from him. So we've got to understand that he's good. Him being a good heavenly father knows how to give good gifts or good things to his children or to those who ask. So notice in this passage of scripture, it talks about three ways. It's talking about prayer, how we come to God in prayer, how we come to God just talking to him. Don't be intimidated by the word prayer. Prayer is just talking to God. Everyone, every one of my kids at some point in their life says, I, don't, I can't pray, I don't know how to pray, I don't know what to say. I just say, hey, You can talk, can't you? Well, then you can talk to God. 
It's not some formal King James version of talking that you've got to change your language all of a sudden and start using thou and all that to talk to God. Just talk normal. He, he knows street cred. He knows hood language. He knows it all. He, he's very, very good at, at all dialects. He even knows Southern Illinois dialect. He can understand what I'm saying when I talk to him. So be free to talk to him in normal. But here's what it says. Three things about coming to God. I'm going to give you three D's today. Easy for you to remember. I like to make it simple. So some alliteration for you grammar people. Three D's. Number one in asking, the three things he gives us, ask, seek, and knock in verse seven. Ask, seek, and knock. The first one, asking, deals with our desires. Desires. That's the first D. You can take notes of that. How do, we, how do people know what we want for Christmas unless we tell them, unless we ask them, right? How are people going to know what you want unless you ask them? You've got to be able to ask them. You've got to be able to express it to them. It's the same way with God. We cannot be afraid of asking him for things. Look what John 15, 7 says. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it will be done for you. God wants to give you things. Notice what it says. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will ask what you desire and it will be done for you. How is that possible? Because when God's word abides in us and we abide in him, our desires start to line up with what he wants to do for us. So he's more than happy to give us our desires because our desires are lining up with what he's already promised to give us. So we can't be afraid to ask. Yesterday I was finishing up some last-minute Christmas shopping, and, and uh, I took my son because we was going to go to our, one of our favorite stores. And so we decided we'd go there, and it's none other than Rule King. And so we're going to Rule King because Jesus is the king of the rule area, so we like to go to Rule King. So we go to, we're going to Rule King, but I, I said, hey, we're going to go. We've got to get something for somebody else. And so when I invited him to come along, he's five years old, my son Lucas, I said, we got, I got to lay down the ground rules. Okay, right? If you're going to go, here's rule number one. We're not buying anything for you. Do you still want to go? Hey, you got to lay that out right in the beginning. So he was still on board, probably because he didn't believe me. But anyway, so he said, yeah. Usually he's just assuming that we'll get there and he'll change my mind. So we, I said, not buying for you. And number two, we're just going to look in the toy aisle. And when I say it's time to go, we got to go. Okay, you got the ground rules, right? One and two. Okay, we're going. So we get there, and we follow the yellow tracks, of course. And, the, and we go around, and we got to find, we found the toy aisle. And so we get in the toy aisle, and he's finding all this stuff that's just awesome to him. He loves all, loves tractors, backhoes, excavators. It's, it's just overwhelming. It's mind-blowing. He gets all these big trucks. Hey, Dad, look at this. Hey, Dad, look at that. Hey, Dad, look at this. And then he saw a dually truck. He loves Dooley's, and I, I don't know what it is about it, but so he goes down. It's on the bottom shelf, so he gets down, and he's looking at it, and it's got a, a gooseneck trailer, and, and it's got a John Deere tractor on the back of it, and he looks up and says, Dad, would you get this for me for Christmas? He's asking, right? He's asking a good father. I said, no. <laughs> Rule number one. Is still in play. I said, Lucas, it's, it's Christmas. It's only three days till Christmas, and we've already bought you something. So he says, well, could you take back what you got and buy me that? 
Here's the point. It's okay to ask. Because when he asked and he said that this is my desire, how many knows that I wanted to be able to get that for him? I don't, I'm not going to look for something to go, oh, Lucas would probably hate this. I'm going to buy him that. <laughs> no, the things that he wants, that he desires, I want to give him. How much more does my heavenly father want to give good things to his children? Ask him. It's about your desires. Your desires are precious to God. So ask what your desires are. Second thing he says is seeking. Seek and you will find. The word seek speaks of devotion. Ask is our desire. Seeking is about devotion or commitment. He says, seek and you will find. The word seek there means this in the Greek, means to, to attempt to obtain, looking for, or trying to find or experience something. It's about great effort you're releasing towards a specific goal. Seeking is not accidental. Seeking requires action. It's like the game, hide and seek. seek. Hide and seek. The game's not just hide, it's hide and seek. So the game would be pointless if it was just no, if there were no seeking. We had one of our kids, one of our girls, when she was really young, we'd play hide and seek. And she was, she was so funny when we'd play hide and seek because whenever she would hide, we would come to seek for her. And so when we would go and we'd look for her, we'd say, hey, I can't find her. I would say, we'd say her name. I don't want to tell which one it was. They get embarrassed about this kind of stuff. They don't want me to use them in illustrations all the time. But anyway, so I said, hey, hello, are you in here? I can't find her. She must not be in here. And you would hear her little voice. She'd go, I'm in here. <laughs> She'd be under the covers or something. I'm under here. She'd be in the closet or something. I'm in here. And all, she would tell on herself where she was. And it was so cute. So it wasn't that hard seeking for her. But how many know it was a joy to be involved in that, to go seek? And so this, he says, seek me and you will find me. Finding always happens after seeking. People are hiding because they want to be found. God has things that he's hidden for you, not from you. The great thing about to hide and seek is actually finding them, right? How fun would the game be if no one came look for you? Two days go by, three days go by, you're in the closet going, I'm in here, I'm in here. Well, the same way, God doesn't hide things from you so you can't find them. He hides them for you so that if you will seek for them, you will find them. He invites us to play with him. He says, come on, let's play hide and seek. It's like the Easter eggs. When you hide Easter eggs, you're not hiding them so they can't find them. You're like they're two and three years old. You're like, I bet I'll never find that. You put them underneath something here. What a twisted mind that would be. You're hiding them like on the shelf, right out in the open. Like, oh, oh, there it is. Amazing. That's the kind of game God wants to have with us. He wants you to seek for him. He has gifts for us. He says, if you seek for him, you will find him. Here's what Jeremiah 29, 12 says. Then you call upon me. This is talking about prayer now. You will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Can I just encourage you today, if you're seeking for God, you will find God. 
God's not hiding from you. He's not playing uh, hide and seek in in that, okay, you're not good enough. When you get good enough, you'll find me. He's laying right out in the open where you can see him. He's right out there saying, here I am, here I am. He's terrible at this game (laughs) because he doesn't hide very well. If you're seeking for God, he wants you to find him. He's going to say, he can't, he's just like one of my kids. He can't take it. After a while, he goes, here I am, Chad. Here I am. Side. He, he wants us to seek. Here's the third one. Ask, desires, seek our devotion, our commitment to come after him. Third one, he says, knock and it will be open to you. Knock speaks of our determination. So we've got our desires. We've got our devotion. And now we've got our determination. Look what the word knock means. It means to knock on a door to signal one's presence to those inside. Have you ever felt like you were on the outside looking in? Have you ever had a situation where like some people were on the inside, you're on the outside and you want to get into where they are or the door is shut, there's something going on in there and you want to go in there but it's behind the door? What do you need to do? If I've got somebody that comes to my house and they want to come in, what is the first thing you usually ask people to do? You ask them to ask them to knock. If they're out there and they just stand there, If you're doing stuff, you're not going to know what's going on. You're not, you're not going to know they want in. You're like, why are you standing on my porch? Are you delivering a package or are you stealing a package? What are you doing on my porch? <laughs> so you see them, they're standing there. The only way, the thing that signifies to me that they want to come in is they knock. This is what God says about our relationship with him. He says, I invite you to knock. If you'll knock and let me know you want to come in, it will be open to you. Look what it says uh, in the word open means to open up to cause someone to be able to see, hear, or to speak. Knocking is about access. This word determination, here's what, when we come to God with knocking, it's because we're determined. We're showing him some persistence about it. So we come to him with our desires. We're saying, God, we want you. We're coming with our devotion. We're seeking him. We're committed to him. But the third part is we have to come. Knocking says we are persistent. We're determined to get what God has promised us. There's a story in the Bible. I make note of it there in your notes. It's in Luke chapter 11 about this guy who'd, who'd went to bed. And he's in bed, his kids were all in bed, and all of a sudden a friend comes knocking at this door and says, hey, I need to borrow some sugar. It's not what he says, but I'm translating it to modern day. I need to borrow some sugar. How many of you, you're at one o'clock in the morning, someone knocks at your door and wants a cup of sugar, you're going to be excited to get up and scoop it for them. So you're there. he's laying in bed, he comes knocks on the door, and, and the Bible says in this story that the man cry, calls out and says, hey, I'm in bed. My kids are in bed. Come back tomorrow. You can get some sugar tomorrow. Go to Walmart. It's open 24 hours. <laughs> but the, guy, the person keeps knocking. You ever had somebody knock at your door and you tried to pretend you weren't home? <laughs> if people came to your door and they knock, you're like, Oh, it's them. Shh, shh. Everybody quiet. Quiet. Shh. Maybe they'll go away. Right? I know none of you have ever done that, but I've heard it happens before. So what happens? But then those people, if they're not 
satisfied with that, you, you, you knock, you maybe knock lightly on the storm door, but if you really want in, you open the storm door and you start banging on the inside door. You're like, you may not thought that you heard me, but I'm going to make myself known. I want in. I know you're in there. I see you. I see you. Come. It's what God's inviting us to do with him in prayer. Show some determination. I'm determined to get what God has for me. I'm determined. If I get, if the resistance comes against me, I don't care who tries to get in my way. Who's trying to tell, tell me it's not home? I'm telling you, it's in there. I see it. It's in there. God has it for me. I see it right there. I'm going to keep knocking. I'm going to keep knocking. I'm going to keep knocking it off my podium. I'm going to keep knocking. This is what God says. Ask, seek, and knock. This is about determination. Luke 18 says this way, then he spoke a parable to them that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. I want to encourage somebody today, don't get tired of knocking. It's like, <laughs> I thought when I was preparing this, thinking about this, some of my age, I don't know what these old crazy songs pop in my head, somebody's knocking, should I let him in? I'm like, what in the world? That song is like so old. But you just got to keep knocking, God's going to let you in. He says, Whoever knocks, notice what it says in your Bible, to him who knocks, it will be open to them. Who is it going to be open to? To the one who knocks. To him who knocks or to her who knocks, it will be open. To him or her who does not knock, it will not be opened. He invites you. In other words, show some persistence, some tenacity for the things of God. Don't, get, don't let just a resistance, a casual, well, I don't know, maybe God doesn't want me to have it. Wait a minute. If you see him in there moving around with somebody else, you knock and say, I want in there too. Knock. The door will be open. So now let's see. Put these three together, asking, seeking, knockings about desire, devotion, and determination. What does that have to do with Christmas? I'm glad you asked. I want to go over to Matthew chapter 2. I want to show you how the wise men came, and when the wise men came to see Jesus, they came to worship Jesus, they brought him three things. I want you to see how Jesus said in prayer, I want you to come to me with three things. Come to me asking. That's, that means bring your desires to me. Come to me seeking. That means you're devoted to me. Come to me knocking. That means you're determined. Bring those things to me when you come to me in prayer. Now let's see what the wise men brought to Jesus and tie the two together. In chapter 2 of Matthew, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east. Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now when it says wise men, I'm not talking about just smart guys. It's not talking about people that are part of the mafia. When it says wise men, you know, wise guys. Anyway, some of you don't understand that. So wise men came. The Greek word, here's why we have to understand the Bible. Sometimes, and I didn't understand this when I was younger. I didn't know this. I didn't study what the Bible meant. I'm like, okay, how did these guys just see a star and know to go to Jerusalem? I mean, there's a bunch of stars in the sky. How did they just happen to see a star and think, I believe it's Jesus? Well, it's because it didn't just happen. These wise men is a Greek word, magio. And the word re represented people, and here's who these people were. Philosophers, priests, 
or astronomers. They lived chiefly in Persia or Arabia in the, in the east. You said they came from, so if you look on the map, Israel to the east, this is Iraq and Iran territory. They came from the Persian area. That's where they came from. They were the learned men of Eastern nations, devoted to astronomy, to religion, and to medicine. They were held in high esteem by the Persian court, were admitted as counselors, and followed the camps in war to give advice. They were spiritual advisors or counselors. Now, can I take you back for just a moment? Where did these guys come from? Do you remember the story of Daniel? Do you remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? That these people were Jews that were taken into captivity by Babylon, which is, became Persian Empire. So they were from the Iraq or Iran area. So Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got favor with God, and so much so that the king, Nebuchadnezzar, put them in charge. Daniel was actually called the chief Magio. This was his title. So Daniel was over all of the counselors, all the spiritual advisors, all the philosophers. That was his position in the east, not in Jerusalem, in the east where these guys came from. So these men were actually descendants of people that Daniel taught and trained. Why is that significant? Because Daniel not only influenced them on things that were academic in nature, but he also taught them Jewish culture. In Daniel chapter 9, you don't, we don't have time to look at it right now, but you can go back and look at it in, in verses 25 through 26. Daniel prophesies and starts talking about when the Messiah would come. Daniel did. And he talks about in 62 weeks or 434 years which brings to 25 AD. Jesus was believed to be born in 4 BC, puts him in Jerusalem about 26 AD. There's a lot of stuff. I can't get bogged down the details. I love this stuff, but I can't get into the details of it. Here's what I'm saying. These men, these Magio, didn't just happen to randomly see a star. They studied the prophecies. Daniel had taught them, and they had calculated to the year I'm telling you, Jesus came in the year Daniel predicted. The Messiah came. So they knew the time that the Messiah was supposed to come. So they were looking for him when he was supposed to come. When the prophetic scriptures told him he was supposed to come, they were looking for him. Just like we're supposed to be looking for him because he's coming back again. So they're expecting him. They're looking for him. And so they're looking, and they see this star, this phenomenon, this unusual thing in the sky, and it start, they're like, whoa, that's it. So just some prelude on how they begin to come to know that, hey, this guy, something's happening over there. So now they go. They talk to King Herod. Just for time's sake, let's go. So they, they begin to ask there in verse 2 for uh, where's born the king of the Jews. So they ask. So they bring all three to the ask, seek, and knock. Ask in verse 2. Jump down to verse 9. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. So the star showed up again. They saw the star that led them. They talked to King Herod, and then they're like, okay, now we got to go somewhere from here. It says you can go to Bethlehem. And so they saw the star again. Look at verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. That's a lot of redundancy to say they were ecstatic to see the star again. 
They were pumped. They were stoked. They were excited. There's the star. Look on verse 11. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. They came into the what? Came into the house. Came into the house. Why is this significant? They asked, where's the king of the Jews? We want to come. So they saw the star, so they sought for him. Then they came to the house. The wise men were not there in the manger. They didn't come then. This is a young child in the house. So and again, I'm not, I'm not uh, harping on anybody's nativity scene that has the wise men there. That's okay, okay? I'm just making sure we understand that it didn't really happen that way. The wise men came later when he was a young child. So he came to the house. So when you come to the house, if you want to come into the house, what do you need to do? Need to knock. So they start knocking. Hello? Wise men here. We come to see the young child. We came from the east. We came to worship him. So look what happens. They come, they knock on the door. They let him in. And they fell down and worshiped him. Do you know these people are coming from nations that are now entirely Muslim? They came from Persia, Iran, and Iraq. Is it ironic that Iranian and Iraq descendants or uh, people that are, that are uh, from that heritage were the ones who came and worshipped Jesus? Do you know what it's a sign of? It's a sign from the very beginning to the entire world that it wasn't just for the Jews, it was also for the Gentiles. They were the, some of the first expression that the Gentiles, all of us, would be included in the salvation package of the Messiah. Is anybody grateful to be allowed into the kingdom of God? Now, some of you watching, you may be of Jewish descent. I'm not. I'm 100% Gentile. And I'm thankful that they, when the wise men came, it represented it was not just for the Jew, but also for the Gentile. I get in on the gift of the Messiah. So this is what they said. So they came and they worshiped him and they opened up their treasures. The Bible says that we have this treasure in earthen vessels. When you come to Jesus, when they came to Jesus, they opened up their treasures and they worshiped him with their treasures. When you come into church, you need to open up your treasures and worship him with your treasures. Worship him with everything he's given you. He's given you so many things. He's given you so many gifts. He's blessed you in so many ways. When you come to God, you need to worship him with your treasures. They open up their, tre and their treasures and they presented to him gifts. Oh, let's check out these gifts. They gave him gifts, three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The gold, what is the significance of these three gifts? Gold is a symbol of deity. They were saying that Jesus is God, God in the flesh. So when they gave him gold, gold was a sign of deity or royalty. So they were recognizing, hey, we're bringing gold as a gift, and we are saying, you are God, you are king, you are royal. That was the sign, that was the symbol of that gift. The next thing they brought him was frankincense. I didn't say Frankenstein, I said frankincense. And the frankincense represents that Jesus is our high priest and that he is devoted to praying for us. Frankincense represents prayer, and it was a sign that Jesus would be seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, and he would daily make intercession for you and for me. Anybody thankful to have Jesus praying for you every single day? Woo! He's your high priest, and he's de devoted to you. 
He's devoted to you. He's committed to you. He's committed all in. He, he brought frankincense to say, hey, I'm going to be devoted to these people. Then the third gift was myrrh. The myrrh was an embalming spice. It speaks of his suffering love that would lead him to death on the cross. Myrrh was used for embalming, and it was representative that this king, this high priest, would also die for us. All three of these gifts, gold we know is very valuable, gold precious, but you need to know also that frankincense and myrrh were very, very costly items. And all three of these things, these three gifts were given to help finance Joseph and Mary's life for the early years of Jesus' ministry. It, it allowed them to move to, ex, to Egypt and to live in Egypt for a while before they moved back. This gift showed up, and it was bankroll time at Joseph and Mary's house. How many like to show up when you have a baby and bring in gold and frankincense and myrrh and just start passing it around? Here, here's some gold for you. Hope it pays for your hospital bill. What the insurance doesn't cover, God bless you. But they brought in these gold, frankincense, and myrrh gifts. Now, what does this have to do with our asking, seeking, and knocking? Here's how I want to bring this together. The three things that they brought as gifts to God are the three things that I believe we can bring as gifts to God when we come to him. First is the gold. Gold represents asking. It represents asking. When you brought gold, gold was the standard for currency, exchange. You pay for something, you brought gold, you could exchange, you could pay. It was a standard for currency. When we ask in faith, believing, faith is our standard of currency in prayer. It's not just I need something so you must give it to me. He says, come to me with gold. Come to me believing. Come to me with your desires. When we bring our desires to God, it is a gift to him. It's a gift to him when we desire him. When we could desire anything else, but we desire him, it is a gift to him. Just like they brought gold to Jesus, it was a gift to Jesus. Your desires to God, it is a gift to God. And he wants to make an exchange. When you, when you bring your desires to him, he's a good father. And he says, oh, they want me, just ask me, ask me. I want to give it to you, whatever you ask. That's what he wants to do with our gold. Matthew 21, 22 says, and whatever things you ask in prayer believing, you will receive. Whatever things you ask in prayer believing, believing faith is our medium or standard of exchange. Frankincense. Frankincense represents seeking. They were devoted to go find him. God wants us to seek after him. So when we come to God and we seek him, not like, you know, if we can fit him in our schedule, but we adjust our schedule around him. We seek him. We intentionally go after him. Not if he just happens to show up in our life, in our busy day, but no, we are intentionally seeking him. It's a gift to him when we seek him. He desires us to seek him, and it's about being devoted. When we seek after God every day, it shows devotion. When you get up and you choose to read your Bible and pray before you do anything else, it shows devotion to him, and it's a gift to him. He says, oh, look at him, seek me first. 
Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things you need. I'll be glad to give them to you, but seek me first. When we seek God, it's a gift to him. It's devotion. It's showing him, God, you matter more than anything else. The third thing they brought was myrrh. Here's where the rubber meets the road. Because just like in frankincense, we choose to seek him and, and choose after no other. You know, I have decided, the old song we'd sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. The third thing they brought myrrh was an embalming spice. And it represented this about Jesus. Again, it represented his determination to redeem us even if it cost him his life. And the wise men came. They were determined to see him no matter how difficult the journey or the cost. Luke 14 says this in verse 27. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? His love for you led him to the cross. The myrrh, this is the big one. Everybody wants the gold. Ask, yes, gold, ask, yes. Frankincense, yes, I'll seek you. Yeah, I'll come after God, I want God. But the myrrh. The only way myrrh came into the equation is if something died. Once something died, then myrrh was used to embalm, to preserve, to, to cause something to last longer. So the myrrh, when, when he brought the gift of myrrh, the determination, it's saying to God, I'm willing to die for you. The myrrh is where you're saying, God, I've counted the cost. Because can I, can I tell you something? Merry Christmas to you, by the way. Can I tell you something? To serve God as great as it is, as wonderful it is, as so many benefits that there are to serve God, it is the best decision I've ever made. It is fantastic, but it will cost you something. I would be doing you a disservice to not tell you it will cost you. And sometimes it's expensive. I could use scripture and tell you that all oh, the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. But you need to know the myrrh means there's a cost. Are you willing to pay the price? Are you willing to lose friends over it? Are you willing to lose popularity over it? Are you willing to walk away from old habits and your old reputation and your old lifestyle? Are you willing to be a new person? His love led him to a cross. But my Bible tells me that my love for him should lead me to a cross. That I take up my own cross and I deny myself and I live for him. The myrrh means you're determined. No matter the price, no matter what it's going to cost you, I'm determined. I'm in. You got some persistence about you. To live for, it takes far more courage to live for God than to live for sin. It takes no courage to live for sin. Anybody can do that. But to live for God, it takes some guts. It takes the courage of a man or a woman that says, I'm not going to be moved. I'm not going to be shaken. I'm not going to be intimidated. i got Jesus on the inside of me, and I will not back down. I'm going to keep knocking. We'll keep going after it. Not long ago, I was 
talking to God about some things in this topic. And God asked me, he said, Chad, are you willing to not be liked for me? Are you willing to not be liked? And I knew the academic answer. I knew the Sunday school answer. That, of course, the good biblical answer is to say, oh, yes, Lord, I am. But I knew when I searched my heart, I looked in my heart to the question, are you willing to not be liked? And I saw the answer, and the answer was no. I'm not willing to not be liked. Because I want everybody to like me. I want everybody to think I'm swell. As a matter of fact, I can't figure out why people wouldn't like me. I'm like, why wouldn't you? Like, I'm a nice guy. I'm really genuine. I'm really not fake. I'm not fluff. I'm not, I'm, why wouldn't you like me? So I had to dig down. I realized that in the core, there was an issue that I wanted everyone to like me. And Jesus said, if that's your position, you will never serve me fully. You have to drink the myrrh. You have to be willing to die. You have to be willing for somebody to not like you when you've done nothing wrong. You've got to be willing for somebody to not like you when you're doing what I ask you to do. Jesus was perfect. And they crucified him and beat him with a whip. He says, are you willing? He says, when your determination and you bring that determination to me, it is a gift to me. It is myrrh to me. I was willing to die for you. Are you willing to die for me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit us at theroads.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our latest sermons.